of the hand you got out of bed this morning. Come on, give yourself a hand for getting out of bed. You can tell I didn't watch that before. I forgot I didn't watch Game of Thrones for that long of the hand. So um, I apologize for coming out early and interrupting that and making sure that that didn't cross the rest of the party. Um, I'm so glad you're here this morning. My name is Pastor Roman. I am one of the most servants of the rest of that team. excited for this new series that we are entitling, Here Comes Heaven, Heaven. Uh, this time of year, we celebrate this season known as Advent. Um, now, we're not the type of church that will light the wreath candle every Sunday and celebrate uh, oh joy, peace, and love, like are the cool things of, of Advent. I was a part of a church one time uh, that used to light candles and simply means the arrival, and so we are celebrating the arrival of heaven, and, and here it comes, so here comes heaven is the, the name of our series that we are beginning today, and I'm, I'm super excited to uh, just to roll this out today. Um, today I'm calling the message Silence. Now that doesn't mean that I'll be silent for the morning, uh, but that does mean that we will be talking about the silent signs, and, and, and I'll explain that to you let me just plug uh, what Buddy the Elf plugs. Isn't that great? Like, we've got some really talented people at the refuge. And, um, and believe it or not, some of you are sitting in that, those, those seats, and we believe that you're talented, even though you may not think you're talented. So we want to help you all discover the talents that God has given you. And, um, and so Buddy the Elf was saying that December the 23rd and 24th, we are having our Christmas Eve service on the 24th. Christmas Eve, the 23rd, we are having our regular, regularly scheduled program. So um, we, we invite you here for the 24th and the 23rd. They're, they're different services, so uh, make sure that you don't miss it. Um, the 24th, uh, the kids will not meet in the, in the kids' ministry. They will join them in the regular Christmas carols and, uh, and things like that. So this morning we're talking about the silence, but next week, Tanya and I will be talking about the obedience, the obedience, and uh, we're going to be looking at obedience through the lens of Mary and Joseph. Uh, that'll, be, that'll be next week, and uh, in, in three weeks on December the 23rd, which is my dad's birthday, um, is, uh, we'll, be we'll be 
celebrating the risen king was the purpose. The first one was me, and um, that'll be that'll be fun. I'll be at least very quickly cleaning up what they left, so I can get them out. Okay. So today we're talking about the silence. Now, um, some of you may be sitting there saying, "What what is he talking about the silence?" Some of us uh, could name this this message the waiting. Some of us could name this message the anticipation. Some of us could name this message why. Peter did a great job today with that opener. By the way, I don't tell him what to say. That's an opportunity for him to to preach. (laughs) And um, he did a great job with that. Um, We could name this why because oftentimes in the times of silence in our lives, we tend to ask that question. Today I am talking about the blank page between Malachi and Matthew. Now how does a pastor speak on a blank page in the Bible? I hope you figure that out by the end of today. Uh, I invite you to join me in, as I figure that out today. Uh, as, I, as I began uh, preparing for this message, I knew exactly what I wanted to speak on. I had no idea how I was going to do it. So um, I've drummed up a little something. subject of silence and prayer. God, I, uh, I just want to take a moment, and I want to recognize the one that we do this for. I want to recognize that it's not about how things went this morning as we set up and uh, as we prepared for this message. It, It's not about everything that led up to this moment this week, but it's about the one that we did it for. Father, I I pray that you would use this message that you have given me. I believe that it is a message from you. And I believe that it offers hope for so many people in this world. So God, I, I pray that you would use it to speak to us this morning as we open your word. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, not Malachi, Malachi. Uh, all my Keegan, Michael, uh, Scott, uh, Keen people out there. It's not Malachi, it is Malachi. Uh, it's the last book of the Old Testament. And from the books of Malachi to Matthew, the space between your Old Testament and your New Testament represents four Hundred years. That's one hundred and forty-six thousand silent nights before the silent nights that we celebrate. I can't imagine how silent those nights must have felt. Malachi chapter four and verse six. To the time of Jesus' birth. Have you ever sat in silence, not the silence that we are sitting in right now, you guys are pretty quiet right now, by the way. By the way, join us today, participate. Uh, we, we believe in agreement here. We believe in, in being uh, in putting into the message. We're only going to get out of it what we put into it. So, so feel free to laugh, feel free to cry, feel free to applaud, feel free to be silent. Uh, the Lord is good. 
point that out. So if you've ever sat in silence, some of you um, may feel like that's awkward. Personally, I don't feel like silence is awkward. Silence doesn't scare me as much as I enjoy talking. I know that might, might, might surprise you, but um, silence doesn't scare me. Um, in fact, I enjoy silence. And uh, I recently read, just in the last couple weeks, that, that a study was done with 1,000 men. 1,000 men were polled, and it was determined after polling 1,000 men that men spend on average seven hours a year in the bathroom. Seven hours a year in the bathroom for the sake of peace and quiet. That's why they're there, ladies. They're not there doing what you think they're doing. They're in there for peace and quiet. Any guilty men in the house today? Am I? Yeah, I am not the only one with my hand in the air for those listening on our podcast. Because, men, we enjoy our silence. And now we have to let the ladies in on a secret. And, fellas, if that messes up your marriage, I'll get married. We love, I mean, we, we men enjoy silence, and, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that, that silence can be enjoyable, but the silence that we're speaking of today is silence between God and man, and, and this was far from perfect. In fact, it was, it was miserable. The silence that we speak of today is the lack of a prophet on earth. So, in the Old Testament... God would speak to men through, through men known as, and, and women known as prophets. And um, that's how he communicated. But for 400 years, there wasn't a prophet on earth. 400 years, there was no prophetic voice. 400 years was something that God's people knew a lot about. If you, if you know much about the Old Testament, you know that uh, actually in the book of, of Genesis chapter uh, 13, it mentions that the children of Israel will be oppressed for 400 years. Now this 400 years that we speak of today is different from the 400 years that Genesis chapter 15 verse 15 talks about. That oppression was when the children of Israel were in captivity with this man by the name of Pharaoh in the country of Egypt. And so um, the children of Israel were no scripture before 1515. Now, the difference is that timeline was spelled out in the book of Genesis. A good, a good Jewish person that, that knew the Torah knew that that time with Pharaoh would be 400 years. But this time that, that, that we get to in the Old Testament, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, isn't, isn't determined. All that is said is that the Messiah would be born. 400 years is a very long time. And just to put it into perspective, the United States of America is 242 years old. That's a long time. 400 years. 400 years of, of knowing that someone is coming that was known as the Messiah. The Messiah simply means the anointed one. 
that the anointed one is coming, but you don't know when, and you you know, if, if again, if you were a good Jew, you understood how he would come. But you are sitting there in anticipation for 400 years. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says this. It says, look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are are seeking will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you are looking for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of hosts. So in the Old Testament, God says to the people of Israel, he's coming, he will be here. By the way, if you, um, if you have your Bible, if you can follow along with me or you can there, you follow along on our, on our screen uh, with all the verses that I'll be reading today, but if you're not there, also, uh, if you have your Bible app, we invite you to uh, follow along with all the notes that uh, are in there for for today. I, I put a little more in there today because of the, the nature of, of the message. So you can you can follow along. Now, it's important for me to point out that most Jews today do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So if you think about that, and this is one of the things that stood out in my mind as I studied, was that the 400 years for most Jewish people is continuing. And they're still awaiting their Messiah because Satan has convinced them that Jesus was not their Messiah. And to me, it's extremely sad that they're sitting there and they're still waiting and waiting and waiting for this anointed one that will save them. How could they miss it? Why don't they recognize Jesus as the Messiah today? 400 years is a very long time. Now, I don't want to turn today into a history lesson. I don't want to read for you. I don't want to preach history, although I probably could. I don't want to preach history this morning, so I'm not going to get wrapped up in all of the details of the history of these 400 years, but when you're working with a blank page, you just got to work with what the Lord wants to write. I'm not going to get into too much detail, but it's important to understand, and, and, and I want you to I want you to be able to follow along that the reason I'm giving you the history that I'm giving you is for the sake of God's word. Right, so, um, so the Old Testament ends, and at the time that the Old Testament ends, Persia is in charge. Persia is 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 the king. It's a Persian king. They are reigning the throne. They're in charge of the children of Israel. At the that, that's at the end of the Old Testament. Then at the beginning of the New Testament, Rome is in charge. Rome is the one that. Are, are, tell, are, are the ones that the Jewish people are paying their taxes to. You can fact check all of it. Please fact check everything that I ever say. Not that I lie. But I do if it's a joke. I'll lie if it's going to be funny. Just to, just to be honest. Just to get you to laugh and participate. That's how much I want you to participate. Some of you are taking this silence thing really seriously. And you're like, you're really quiet during this message. You're like, if he's going to talk about silence, I might at least be laughing a little bit. 
so Rome is in charge at the beginning of the, the New Testament. During the Persian reign, King Alexander the Great overthrows this king by the name of Darius III. And King Alexander the Great becomes the ruler of the world, basically. That's why they call him Alexander the Great. You can look him up. He did some, some crazy things on earth. But, but as Alexander the Great was in charge, Alexander the Great's mentor was this Greek philosopher, philosopher by the name of Aristotle. Anybody hear of Aristotle before? Not Aeropostle, kids. Aristotle, right? So Aristotle was his mentor growing up as the Greek philosopher. And part of Alexander the Great's legacy is this period known as Hellenization. Hellenization was Alexander the Great's attempt to bring Greek philosophy to the world, to make the world Greek, basically. And at this time of the Hellenization, many people, the, the language of the world, the language of the world was Greek. The language of the world today is English. So at the time of the Hellenization, the time of Alexander the Great, people all across the world are beginning to speak Greek. So Alexander the Great dies at the age of 33. He was young. At the age of 33, he dies, and the world loses its leader completely. The world doesn't know who to follow. And because the world has lost its leader, nations naturally begin to fight with each other. And in this time, Egypt and Israel, that have this history of 400 years, Israel and, and, and Egypt are fighting, and what would happen during this time is the priests would stand between Egypt and Israel as the nation, and they would become the mediator between Egypt and Israel. The reason that is important is because at that time, the priesthood became motivated by politics. And so now all of a sudden, the priests are now preaching politics and not religion. Oh, Jesus, help me not to get on a high horse now. And it's during this time that the world starts speaking Greek, that the New Testament is written. And so the reason the New Testament is written in the original language of Greek is because Greek was the language of the world at the time. And so as the priests became mediating between Egypt and, and, and Israel, these two different forms of priesthood begin. One group is known as the Sadducees, and one group is known as the Pharisees, and one group was known as the Democrats, and one group was known as the Republicans. History repeats itself, ladies and gentlemen. And this isn't, this isn't about to be a political message, so don't turn me off. I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on. But at the time that the priesthood became motivated by politics is during the time of the 400 years that they have no leader. The Sadducees were people or priests that favored the Greeks. They favored 
the Torah. They believed that God should not be involved in government. They were very liberal, if I could use that term. Pharisees were very conservative zealots. They cared more about the righteous, the religious law than they cared about people. Man, these parties sound so much so accurate. In 63 BC, Pompey captures Jerusalem. And that is when Romans take over the reign of the world. Because Pompey has taken over and captured Jerusalem. a time in our world that the world was, was, was extremely lost. They just wanted to follow somebody. Our world was in shambles. And many of you are sitting here today and you're looking at your life and you can relate. Your life is in shambles. You are looking for something to follow, but you're not really sure what to Maybe it's not as dramatic as the 400 years that the children of Israel are going through. I hope that it's not. But it's a time where you're just looking for hope. I want to remind us all today that the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of hope. The birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of hope. 400 years worth of hope. You've, you've been hoping for 10 years for something. And you think that's a long time. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. The reason the Jewish people missed the Messiah is because they were looking for a political sa savior. They were looking for someone that would come in and they would deliver them from the horrible politics of Roman rule. And it makes a lot of sense knowing that the priests at the time were motivated by politics. So they're preaching that a political ruler will come. A political savior. And today, many people miss the Messiah because he doesn't look the way that they think he should look. Today, many people miss the Messiah because he doesn't do what they think that he should do. Today, many people miss the Messiah because they're just asking him for a sign. God, just show me a sign if you are there. And when he doesn't give us a sign that we're looking for, we reject him altogether. So the question today is what do we do in moments with no hope? What do we do in moments that appear to be silent? Moments of despair. In the story of Jesus' birth, there are two people that are mentioned that I believe 
can learn a lot about as we anticipate hope in moments with no hope. Luke chapter 2 is where we find their story. You can follow along with me on the screen or you can follow along in your in your Bibles or on the YouTube version Bible app. I almost said the YouTube Bible app. That would have been fun. Luke 2. I'm going to read for a while here. Verse 21 through 38. It's where we find the story of a na- man by the name of Simeon and a, and a woman by the name of Anna. I, 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 I appreciate that this story is both for the man and the woman. 20, verse 21 of Luke chapter 2, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name given to him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then he was, uh, then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of the child. So the parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, the law of the Lord says if a woman first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required by the law of the Lord, entered the pa- uh, either a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Verse 25, we find the beginning of the story of Simeon. But here's why the first two verses are important. Because Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus eight days after he's born. So this isn't baby Jesus, or it is baby Jesus, he's only eight days old. But he's, he's going into the temple, they're taking him eight days later to the, to the temple for this ceremony. Verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. Say Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eager, awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. The day that the Spirit led Simeon to the temple, that day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now your servant can die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed, and that was the begin that was being said was at what was being said to them. Verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said, Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him still oppose him to this day as of now. Verse 35, as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Verse 36, we find the story of Anna. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died, and she had been married for only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. 
she never left the temple, but stayed in the dam, worshiping God and fasting and praying. She came along as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. So Mary and Joseph are, are, are meeting in front of Simeon. Simeon is talking to them, and this lady Anna comes into the story. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Simeon, Simeon and Anna are very important in this Christmas story. Because they represent people of 400 years. Because they represent people without hope. That anticipated hope. Because they represent people just like you and I, that in moments of no hope, they were able to find it. So this morning, I believe that we can find a few things about Simeon and Anna that will help us in our moments of waiting. Whatever it is you're waiting for. season of lack of hope, my guess is that one will come, or maybe you've gone through a season where it looked like there was no hope, and I believe that we can learn a lot from these two people from God's word this morning, and so the first thing that we notice about Simeon, Simeon number one, if you're taking notes, write this down, Simeon was a servant. Simeon was a servant. Now, it doesn't say what he did. It just said that he was a servant of God. Evidently, he was older because he says to God, now you can help me, let me die in peace. Ladies and gentlemen, it is important to point out this morning that if you're in the midst of no hope, if you're in the midst of waiting, don't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and wait for something to happen. Serve. Serve God, because when we serve God, he, it opens us up to the ability of receiving the hope that we're looking for. Stop standing there and expecting God to do something when you're doing nothing. I believe that God answers our prayers in the midst of service. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to serve in order to get something from God. That's not what I'm saying this morning. I'm saying that when you serve, you open yourself up for God to speak to you. This last week, um, this, this, is, this is one of the reasons why we really encourage people to be a part of what we call our dream team. This is why we encourage people to be, be a part of our community, because when we're when you become a part of the community, it's natural for you to start serving with them. We we recently uh, changed some things in, in the way that we structured 
the church, and now we say that you don't have to go through my refuge in order to serve on our team. But I believe that if you go through my refuge, you're going to want to serve on this team because it opens your, it opens you up to what we're about. And you discover, hopefully when you discover what the refuge church is about, you want to be a part of it. And when you're a part of it, things like this happen. So this last week, there was a guy that's on our team that was visiting another guy on our team. And the guy that he was visiting happens to own a a shop, a a vehicle shop. And um, as he was there, he went back to his truck to start it, and it wouldn't start. And so these two gearheads start talking about what it could possibly be uh, in in the truck. And they they figured that uh, the fuel pump was probably gone out, which they knew would be about a $300 purchase in the coming season that no one wants to spend $300 on a fuel pump in the home of anybody, right? And we don't want to spend extra money at, at Christmas time because we've got plans and expectations. And so um, what happens is they, the, the guy that owns the shop calls another guy down the road that owns a shop. And um, it turns out that the guy knew about these trucks and he's like, no, it's not the fuel pump, it's, it's this problem, it's the fuel, I don't know what, exactly what it was, I should have gotten the details before I told the story to the whole church, with whatever mindset it was, thanks for giving yourself up, buddy. It was what he said, and, um, and so the guy says, I happen to have a, a, a beater truck that's over here at the shop that you can come and take that part off of. despair, two and a half hours of silence later, two and a half hours of thinking, oh no, where am I going to come up with $300? Two and a half hours later, the truck is fixed and running for $5. But I can't help but to think what would have happened if, if, if that person was at home trying to start his truck without a community to be a part of. Now, I realize that 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 issue could have been fixed without community. My guess is it probably would have happened in two and a half hours. But it just so happened that in his moment of need, God had him in the presence of someone that could do something with because he's a part of a community that can't. Because he's serving with a community that has each other's backs because he's serving with a community that loves each other. When you serve, it opens yourself up for God to do something. And so Tanya tells me this story. That's why um, that's why I probably have lost all the details because she was the one that told me that story. But she told me the story and, and she tells me that she was out shopping with another friend that was on our in our community when she heard this story about this She said as as they were driving, the friend that she was with said, 
I've never been a part of something. I've never been a part of a community that a problem arises and a solution is right there. The way that it happens at the Refuge Church. She's like, I've been a part of other churches before, and it doesn't happen the way it does here. start serving with each other. God does things that he doesn't do otherwise. Because here's here's why. Because when we serve, our hearts are revealed. When we serve, our hearts are revealed. Let me explain it to you like this. When someone It is so hard to serve someone that you're mad at because when you serve, your heart is revealed. You can't help it. One of the things that I've noticed in in churches is that oftentimes when someone's serving and they get mad at the pastor, which never happens, by the way, so I'm paraphrasing. Some of you guys that are mad at me right now are going, yeah, right. I'm not perfect. But one of the things that I notice when people get mad in church is two things always go. First of all, if they're givers, if they tithe to the church, their money goes first. Second thing that goes is their service. They can't service. And here's why. Because Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So when your heart gets messed up, when your heart gets messed up, your treasure goes away. And now you know what, how I know when you're mad at me. Simeon was a servant, number one. Number two, Simeon was led by This is huge because it's not, it's not just enough to serve, but you have to be led by the spirit of God in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one thing that I want for every person in this room, for you to be led by the spirit of God in your life. I want you to figure that out. Gentlemen, if you're not led by the Spirit of God in your life, I got bad news for you. Because if you're led by the Spirit of God in your life, you are a child of God. If you call yourself a Christian, you need to live according to how God wants you to live. But here's the thing about being led by the Spirit of God in your life. It's dangerous. 
it might just move you from the Midwest to Maine to plant a church. <laughs> okay, maybe not. But this is obedience. Being led by God, being led by the Spirit of God in our lives is a path of obedience. Luke chapter um, chapter 2, verse 29 says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have, I have seen your salvation. So number one, Simeon was a servant. Number two, Simeon was led by the Spirit. We all must be led by the Spirit of God in our lives. Number three, when the silence came into Simeon's life, he focused on God's promise. When there was no hope, Simeon found a way to look to the promise of God. The promise was that he would see this, the Savior. The promise was that he would see the Messiah. And when he saw the Messiah, he knew that he could now die in peace because he had seen salvation. In your moments of silence, in your moments of no hope, look to God's promises, ladies and gentlemen. There's over a thousand, there are thousands of promises in God's word. Just, just try to Google how many promises are in God's word. Some people believe there's 5,000. Some people believe there's 30,000. Like, there are so many promises in God's word, we can't even count them. Pick one. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's a good one. He is the friend that sticks closer than the brother. There's a good one. There's, those of you are sitting there and you're, and, you're, and you're repeating some promises that you've repeated to yourself over and over and over in your life because you've fo- learned to focus on God's promises. Psalm chapter 39 verse 34 says, No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word that I said. God's promises cannot be broken. He is the only one that will never break a promise to you. If you're at a time in your life where you you're, you're at a loss, you don't know where to turn, I want you I want to encourage you to turn to the promises of God. So Simeon was a servant. Simeon uh, focus on God's promise was number three, but number two was that Simeon was led by the Spirit. Now Anna, and I'll move quickly. Anna was a widow, number one. Anna was a widow. Not only did Anna have a great name, (laughs) my daughter's name is Anna, so I, I am dear to her, but she was a widow. And here's what, here's what it tells us about Anna. Anna knew heartbreak. Now, there's some, like, people can't understand how long she was a widow for. They, like, like scholars have, have tried to figure it out. Some translations say that, that she was a widow, uh, and at the time that she sees Jesus, she's 84 years old. Other translations say that she was an, a widow for 84 years. 
fact of the matter is, is Anna knew heartbreak for a very long time. But you know what Anna did in the, mo- in the, in the midst of her heartbreak? She worshipped, she fasted, and she prayed. Ladies and gentlemen, in your heartbreak, there is no excuse to stop seeking God in your life. In fact, I would say in your heartbreak, it is a reason to seek God in your life. But what happens so oftentimes is when heartbreak comes, we quit going to church. When heartbreak comes, we can't be a part of this community because I just can't open myself up to, to what, my, what they might think. Not Anna. She was in the temple day and night, worshiping God, fasting and praying and seeking him. I would say that her heartbreak inspired her to run to the only thing that she knew she could rely on. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are here with a broken heart this morning, I want you to know that God is there. He knows you and he sees you. And he is right there with you. So Anna was a widow. The second thing is she was committed. She was committed. In the midst of her heartbreak, she remained committed to the temple. She remained committed to seeking God. She remained committed to fasting and praying and worshiping God. Let me ask you a question. If whatever it is that you were hoping for was contingent upon you seeking God, would that hope ever come? If the healing that you are seeking for in your life was dependent on your attitude in your heart and the way that you seek God, will that hope, will that healing ever come in your life? Your time of silence is no excuse to not be committed. God is looking for people that are all in, not half in. In the book of Revelation, the Bible says that people that are half in make God sick. It says that those that are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm is just not hot, not cold. It's just halfway. Anna was a heartbroken widow. Anna was committed. And finally, Anna was expectant. Verse 38 says she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly. Expectation changes everything. Expectation is an attitude of your heart. And that's why it changes everything. Expectation changes your attitude. Expectation changes your actions. Expectation changes your language. Because 
all of a sudden you're expecting positive things, you're going to talk positive ways. Expectation changes everything because expectation is an attitude of your heart. As Darren was, was speaking earlier, I, I had to get out my phone because God used something that he said to speak to me and, and something that I need to say this morning. And that is that your expectation doesn't determine the outcome. Your expectation doesn't determine the outcome. But your expectation does determine your heart and how you receive the outcome. Friday, my, my family and I finally went and got our Christmas tree. It was a little late for us. We, we had a, not a disagreement. Actually, I guess it was a disagreement because Anna was very, very adamant. We will not get a fake tree. We are having a real tree for this Christmas. So we argued for about eight days because it was the 8th of, of December. And so, well, you didn't really argue because of that. Friday, we went and got a Christmas tree. And while we were there getting the Christmas tree, uh, I, we, we picked out a, a perfect one, right? Because there are, because we live in the Pine State, everyone has a perfect tree and everything else. And so, I uh, I did what the man does. I grabbed the, the Christmas tree by, with one arm and I lifted it up over my shoulder and I threw it on top of the car. And then I went inside to pay for the tree while I left Tanya to tie the tree down. And as she's tying the tree down, she's using her cell phone as a flashlight to, to tie the tree down. And, and, and then I, I get done paying for the, for the tree, and I, I go inside, and I, um, and I come back out, and she's like, Adam, my hands are freezing. Can you help, like, can you just do it? And I'm like, I got it. I'm the man. I'm supposed to do it anyway. So I start strapping the, the tree on, on the car, and and, um, and she and, and, and she goes inside to warm up her hands. And I get done. I come in the, in the car. While she was out there, she was using her cell phone as a flashlight. She didn't think to tell me to reach and I grabbed her cell phone. And so, I don't know, three, four miles down the road, driving and Tanya wants to send a text message to her friend. She probably wanted to take a selfie because that's what she does in the front seat of our car. And uh, she says to me, oh no, did you grab my cell phone? I said, like any good man does, was I supposed to? (laughs) I said, honey, I swear, I promise you, you did not tell me to pick up your cell phone. Oh no, I think my phone is on top of the car. So, I was like, well, I guess I'll pull over. So I pulled over as slow as I could. Because I'm already not driving very fast because we have a tree on top of our car. And she looks up and we expect for that cell phone to be on 302 smashed to pieces. Behold, that cell phone was right there on top of the car. Our expectation was that that cell phone was gone. 
And so what happens with our expectation is so oftentimes when you expect the worst and the best thing happens, you become ecstatic. You're like, yeah, this is amazing. I can't wait to tell the whole church on Sunday morning what expectations can do. But expectation is an attitude of heart. So what would have happened if that phone was in the middle of 302, smashed to pieces, I would have been very ticked off. Because my expectations had already determined that my heart would have been very mad. If that phone would have blown up, fire would have been, Tanya would have been very mad. You wouldn't have been mad at me. You would have just been mad. So oftentimes in our life, we expect the worst and we get the best. And we're amazed. But oftentimes we expect the worst and we get the worst because our heart had already determined that no matter what the outcome, we're going to be mad no matter what. But when you come in, To the house of God with the expectation of receiving God's best today. Your heart has the ability to be forever changed. And it's not contingent on your expectation. It's only contingent on God showing up. And the Bible says that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. So we know that every single Sunday, every time that we meet in this place, that God is going to show up. All we ask is for you to have some expectations. Because expectations determine our heart. This last week, uh, I decided to go in for a little checkup. See, when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, it was determined that I have what's known as a bicuspid aortic valve. Basically, that's fancy talk to say that I only have two leaves on, the, on my aorta valve when most people have three. I'm not dying. This is not, I wanna, that's not where I'm going with this. But I decided to go in for a checkup. The checkup was to look at my physical heart. One of the expectations that we have to have when we come into this place is we have to expect a little heart exam. We have to expect that we will look at our heart. That we will see if our heart is where God wants it to be. You can say this, close your eyes, bow your head. This is that moment that moment of heart evaluation. You see, the reason why Simeon and Anna were so excited when they saw Jesus was because they knew that their hope was fulfilled. They knew that the thing that they were looking for was finally there. But the fact of the matter is, that some of you are in this room and you are looking for the exact same thing that Simeon and Anna looked for for 400 years. 
you're looking for a savior. You're looking for hope. I want you to know that the Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas time doesn't stay in a manger. But he goes on to a cross to die a brutal death, to shed his blood for you and for me. So that we can receive him. And I believe with all of my heart that the Jesus we celebrate at Christmas time is the hope that you're looking for. But it will require you to give him your heart for you to receive that hope. So let me ask you. Have you given God your heart? Because Jesus died for it. Jesus died so that you could give God your heart. Before his death, we, we couldn't. The people in the Old Testament, they had to do all kinds of things to be right with God. But now, because of Jesus, you and I can sit here in this moment, and it only takes a second to change your heart. But if you want to change your life, that's going to happen over time. We're going to do everything that we can to help you. So if you're here this morning and you want to give God your heart, would you do me a favor? Would you just slip your hand up so that I can see it and then put it back down? Anybody at all? I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Say, I want to give God all of me today. raise your hand, or maybe you didn't. I want to invite you to say this prayer with me. Say, God, I know that I've done wrong, and I know because I've done wrong that I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is the Savior that I've been looking for. Thank you for sending him into this world, for dying for me. And now I ask that you would come into my life and save me. Make me a new person. And help me to live for you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Do me a favor. Would you stand to your feet? Would you stand to your feet? We're going to sing a song in celebration. We're going to sing a song in celebration in a minute. We're going to clap for all that God has done. But if you said that prayer, I want to invite you to fill out our connection card and let us know. Um, also, if you are just at a moment of your life where you just feel like you have no hope, my friend Amy, my friend Dave are up here. They would love to pray with you. Let's give God a hand today. Come on.